0: So it's Advent, if you couldn't tell already, lots of Adventy things. But we're going to be taking a pause in Luke and transitioning for the next few weeks to go into some Advent-related, Christmas-related um, sermons, um, although next week is the, the play, so not next week. But um, let's pray, and then we will, we will dig in and get started. Lord, uh, we're grateful that um, you brought us here, that you have saved us, that you've redeemed us, God, that you love us as sons and daughters, um, that you've forgiven us, as we just sang about, um, that you will bring us to our eternal home. And we ask now that you'd bless uh, the reading of your word, that you'd bless the preaching of your word, God, that we would view this word and hear this word as coming from our loving Father, um, that it would strengthen us, encourage us, that it would give us hope, It would give us peace, um, that it would give us comfort, that it would um, maybe shake us up if we're sleepy or if we're... um, uh, if we need to get back on track. Um, So I ask that you would be with us today and your spirit would take up my words and that they would be pleasing to you and be with us today as we apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we are going to be in Romans chapter 13. Um, If you don't have a handout, there should be some more in the back, but um, that's where we'll be focusing, Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. But before we dig into the passage, I want to kind of frame it by beginning with a hearty Happy New Year. Now some of you might be thinking, Scott, it's December, it's not the New Year yet. Well, um, from one perspective, it is not the New Year yet, but from the perspective of the Christian calendar, it is New Year's Day, because the Christian calendar, the church's calendar, starts in Advent, so Happy New Year. Advent begins the new year of the church's calendar. Um, And the Advent season, as we've been talking about, is all about waiting for Jesus. The word Advent comes from a Latin word that just means coming or arrival. Um, The arrival of the Messiah and of his kingdom. Um, And this Advent is one that we now know is fuller than one single moment in time. He came first to serve and to save, and he will come again. Um, As the creed says, to judge the living and the dead. It's to set everything right and to bring resurrection life. Because God's visitation to our world um, involves a first and a second coming, this season, the Advent season, is one not just preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but it's also a season where we're anticipating, in our time, the return of Jesus. It's an eschatological season. Maybe you've heard that word, eschatology just means the things about the end of the age, a season where we look for Christ to come back. We watch, we wait, we pray, we cry out for him to return. And because of that, it's in many ways a season that has its foot in two years, um, because it finishes up the drama of the Christian story that the church's calendar tells, and it anticipates the beginning again of a new year. And because this is kind of the double meaning of this season, we begin with a situation that's really similar to Israel before Christ was born. We kind of can imagine and we kind of reenact what it was like to be longing and looking and waiting for Jesus. Right There's there's darkness, right? Just like with Israel. And Advent begins in darkness. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Newsflash. But like Israel, we have God's promises. And at, at any moment... God could act. He can do something. He can end sadness. He can judge the world. He can bring justice and truth, uh, bring the resurrection, bring the new heavens, the new earth. But He hasn't yet. He hasn't healed that broken relationship that you are dealing with. You're still stuck in that job. You still suffer from that illness. You're still wrestling with the same problems. Death still happens. Wars still rage, nations and cultures are still rising and falling, so we still are waiting. But how do we wait faithfully all right what 's our part in this waiting? Is there anything that we should be doing to get ready for Jesus to return? Is there any way that we can use and embrace this season to focus our attention on jesus coming in our passage today in Romans. Um, We're in the last major section of Romans, and Paul here is giving encouragement to Christians as they're waiting for Jesus. All right, and it's a great place to take our cue at the beginning of Advent. So where we're going to touch down in Romans, in Romans chapter 13, Paul has just finished uh, in the book his kind of sweeping overview of the story of the gospel, and he's transitioned in this last part to give a vision of life for people who have received grace. The question is, given what God has done in the world and for us, How should we live? How should we live our lives? And Paul here focuses on the nearness and the urgency of the return of Jesus, and how the return of Jesus should motivate us in the way that we live today. So let's look at the passage. It's again, Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. He writes, besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep." So Paul begins by reminding him what time it is, right? It's very important to know what time it is because there's a time for everything, If we read in Ecclesiastes. The, the hour's coming for something great to happen, right? But, but there's a time for planting and harvesting, for fighting, for making peace, for killing and for healing, for fasting, for feasting, for rest and for work. Um, if you have or have had young kids, you know that... Um, you're constantly reminding them what time it is, especially as it relates to sleep. Um, Rough night last night, so it's on my mind, but um, you know that, um, how many times have you told them, like, it's not time to get up, it's time for sleep, right? You're desperately trying to get them to realize and embrace and embody what time it is, right? Um, It's very important for them to know what time it is, otherwise you have a very bad night. Um, but Paul says, Paul says to the Roman Christians, you already know what time it is. It's the time of this final period of history where something is about to happen. Something, something amazing is about to happen. He doesn't, you know, reminding them we're, we're a small part of something that is much bigger than each one of us. Right? Like hobbits in the Shire, we need to be reminded that there is there's a great good, and evil that's beyond what we realize in our comfortable little hobbit holes. The first word, Paul says, is that salvation is drawing near, right? The dawn is breaking, the night is fleeing. Paul's first word is a word of encouragement and promise that Jesus is coming. Um, The image of this breaking of a a new day, the the dawn of a new day, is one that the Bible uses over and over again. Um, The first light of morning, in the world that we see is this breaking open of a new day. It's a a symbol of new life, right? It's a symbol um, in the Bible of the coming of God's righteousness, all right? Um, It's a symbol of the the morning of Jesus's resurrection when we see Mary kind of quietly, sorrowfully approaching the tomb, but then it's empty, all right? This This is the dawn that echoes the light of creation In the first verses of Genesis, when God says, let there be light, when he speaks life into this formless and void world, right? Paul says that um, from a historical perspective, from perspective of what God is doing in the world, it's like the sun is just below the ridge, and it's threatening to break out at any moment. You can see the the line of light along the the ridge of the mountains. We have a great, we live in a great place to have an ability to see that and have a perspective on that, Right? Or maybe, um, especially nowadays, if you live in a certain parts of the valley, um, it's like you're, you know the light is out, but you're, you're sort of wrapped in fog. And you know that the fog's going to clear, probably, some days it doesn't, um, but you're just waiting on that kind of cold, frosty morning for the sun to, to break the fog open and see the blue skies and the sun. That's what Paul says is that's where we're at right now, right? And he says, the hours come to wake up from our sleep. It's time to wake up, right? The hour draws near every moment. And for some of you, that's the first call that this, this passage is giving to you, is to wake up. right, you're late for work. It's a big day, your flight leaves early, and you didn't pack last night because you thought you could wake up early and pack before you left, but you've slept through your alarm, and so it's time to get going, right? All right, there's this. This that's the urgency here, um, and so many of Jesus' parables and his teachings have this same sense of urgency. And we've been reading some of those uh, in Luke. And this call to to not slack and not delay, right? To not assume that oh, he's not coming, or the ma- you know the master of the house isn't coming back. We can ignore the dawn for now, All right? We can hit the snooze button, and it'll be okay. All right? Is your is your picture of what it means to follow Jesus, to follow him, and live as a Christian? infused with that kind of urgency and that kind of vigilance. Some of Jesus's sternest warnings are directed to people who kind of assume that Advent isn't happening, right? At least not anytime soon. Or if it were to happen, it wouldn't really, I mean, it wouldn't be a problem for us or for me. You know, it wouldn't disrupt or challenge us or kind of the way that things are structured around us. But Paul says, the night is far gone, and the day is at hand. Now, some of you might be thinking what I'm thinking when I read this passage. Paul wrote this, what, 2,000 years ago or so? So maybe it wasn't near, or apparently it wasn't near. People were kind of feeling this and thinking this even close to the time that Paul was writing. Um, And that's why Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3. He writes, Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Makes sense. That's what scoffers would do. They will say... Where's the promise of his coming? But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Therefore, since you are waiting, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So this question, how long? How can it be near when we've been waiting for so long? It's not a new question. At least one reason why he is seeming to be slow in coming is that he's patient with people. He loves people, all right? His desire is that the gospel and its fruit should go to all nations, to all peoples everywhere. But still, um, Christians uh, of Paul's day and Christians today are supposed to live in a way that is eagerly anticipating his return. We watch and wait. We're vigilant and diligent in our lives. He could come at any moment. So that's what time it is. Now, once we know what time it is, what should we do? How do we stay awake? Uh, How do we prepare for Jesus? Well, in a very similar way to how John the Baptist called people to prepare for the first advent, when he told them, Repent and bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So let's look at what Paul says, and starting um, in verse 12. <clears throat> he says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So though the day is, in one sense, not quite here yet, and the night hasn't fully broken, we should live as though it is already day, because we are, in a sense, time travelers. Just go with me on that. Um, We are representatives of this future day, right? We've been brought into the light. God has shown us the light of the future of his kingdom, and we now should live in God's ways and not in the ways of the night. Um, A very similar passage, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 Paul makes this a really similar, a lot of similar points, and he makes this much more clear. He says, you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So Paul in 1 Thessalonians, just like in Romans, our passage tells us to really prepare for battle. All right, cast off the darkness, put on this armor of light. We are, as Christians, you are warriors of the light. And the Christian life is one of warfare. Um, being a Christian means preparing for battle and engaging in battle. The Psalms tell us that um, God himself is a warrior and that he trains our hands for war. When Paul lists this battle gear in 1 Thessalonians and Ephesians 6, he's echoing Isaiah 59 where God is shown wearing the same armor before he comes and acts and brings justice. So in other words, we are God's army and we should be dressing like our father. So look, look at what your dad is wearing and suit up in the same way. We reflect God's light, right? It's his light that we reflect, right? We're, we're supposed to ready and, and ready ourselves to do battle just like our father does. And so um, I just realized this earlier this week that um, the Battle Hymn of the Republic is kind of like an Advent song. I don't know if maybe you guys have thought of this before, but I got really excited about it because I love it when I find new songs that kind of relate to the seasons and um, sort of see songs in a new light. Um, But I put it on your handouts just because it's kind of a cool song. um, And I'm going to read just the first and last verse of it. You can read the rest of them um, for homework. I won't ask if you did it. So the first verse is, um, oh, and just a little context, this song was written um, around the Civil War, and so it was kind of a song that related to the cause of the, the Union, um, who were obviously like addressing all these great evils of slavery and um, fighting, fighting against the South and all this. And then it was brought up again in the Civil Rights Movement as kind of a rallying song for, for justice um, at that time. So first verse, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful, fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. All right, so very strong second coming um, notes there. But then look at the last verse. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea. With a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. While God is marching on. So, this picture of transformation, of holiness, right, the battle readiness, it captures a really crucial element of what should be our understanding of who we are, what our lives are about as Christians, how we should think, how we should live um, our mission, right. So we need to be ready to do battle. We need to, in some cases, uh, engage in warfare. And this preparation involves, Paul says, both getting rid of some things and adding some things, Right? It can't just be one or the other. Anyone who's tried to break a bad habit, you know this. Um, you can't just stop doing a bad habit. I mean, maybe if you're like an amazing person, you can but most of us can't just say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to stop it, right? You need to replace it with something good, right? And on the flip side, you can't just kind of add good things alongside or kind of on top of darkness, <clears throat> right? The mafia option is not a real Christian option. Um, if any of you have seen the, the first Godfather movie, you may remember this part, but um, the final act, it cuts between scenes of the, kind of the mafia boss, the Godfather, he's baptizing his son, and then it's like juxtaposed with scenes of his henchmen carrying out these hit jobs on all of his enemies, right? That doesn't work, okay? You can't just add, you can't add the armor of light on top of the life of darkness, it, do, it won't fit. So first, we cast off darkness. All right? A soldier that's overwhelmed by sin or, or, or worse, a, cap, a captive of the enemy isn't ready to fight. All right? There's a purpose to your healing and your, your patterns in your life of killing sin, putting to death your old man. It makes you ready for your calling, for your purpose. All right? if, if we're consumed with, with lust, um, if we're overcome with, Paul says, drunkenness, whether alcohol or weed or music or television or political obsessions, or anything else that compromises our judgment and our focus. We're ineffective at best, and at worst, Paul says, we're actually in grave danger. Paul lists um, here uh, really sensual sins, kind of the partying and drunkenness, and then sins of anger, fighting, and jealousy, and envy, right? These are all, these kind of passionate sins, sins of sort of losing control of hunger, insatiable hunger. And these these leave us vulnerable and unprepared to meet Jesus, right? They destroy us. They pull us back into darkness, away from our true identity and our true belonging in the kingdom of light. In contrast to these things, the darkness that we put off, Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't just get rid of the darkness. We replace it with the light of Jesus. We're conformed to his image. We listen to what he says. um, We live our lives after his pattern. He's our older brother, so, so we're looking to him every day to, to forge a path for us and show us how to live. Right? And before this is kind of specific about you know, showing you exactly what to do, what to change, how to, how to do this or that, um, it's really an orientation to your entire life, right? to be clothed with Jesus, to have your life hidden in him. Right? Paul says elsewhere that this is, this pick, another image you can use is the idea of killing the old man and becoming a new man. It's a total total switch, total transformation. And so, given this, um, when we talk about Christian warfare, warfare starts first with me, personally. It starts first with putting my own sin, my own evil, my own old old self to death. And Paul ends this passage by saying, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Um, Literally here, Paul's saying something like, Don't even give a mere thought to the desires of your flesh. Don't even let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. All right? So Paul, he's very very wise. He knows that if he just says, you know, don't do this and this and this, you're like, okay, great. But he's like, hold on, I'm not sure you heard me. Don't even even give a thought to it. Don't give it an inch. Right? Don't entertain thoughts. Don't, Don't make plans or reservations just in case for your flesh. You know, the flesh, it's not a little pet, like a, like a stray cat that's gonna like claw up your screens if you don't give it a little food, right? It's not something that you have to appease and satisfy. It's not a monster or a god or a demon that you have to give offerings to. It's something to put to death. When you go, um, when you go to a park or a wilderness area, you've probably seen this, there's signs that tell you not to feed the animals, right? Um, and of course, almost nobody follows these signs. Because um, it's cute to you know watch the animals come and eat you know, um, but all the animal gets fed all the animals get fed and then they get more and more pushy and comfortable with humans, um, and eventually they become either very very annoying or actually a danger to humans. So the, the grizzly bears in Yellowstone um, and other sites like that um, they've gotten so used to human beings that they're a genuine danger. Like people will die every year, um, regardless of the grizzly bear's intentions, which. You know, I think they're honorable, honorable for the record. Um, they just want some food, but they're too comfortable, right? People have fed them too much. They've given them too much. If you feed them, they don't go away, right? If you feed a fire, does it get bigger or smaller? So you, you get the idea here. So this is very practical, because I think we often think of our, our sin and the darkness in our lives in this way. Well, just, just this once, just a little bit. You know, I don't want to be too extreme, right? I don't want to be religious, I've got to be realistic here, right? I just need to manage this, just a little lie, just a little here, a little gossip, this one comment, right? I mean, I have the right to be angry here anyways, right? We think about it like that, right? We feed it, we make these little little provisions, right? We think about it and it grows. Um, maybe some of you guys have seen the, uh, um, the, veggie, or the Larry boy with like the fib and he like tells more lies and it gets bigger and then it like, Rampages through the town. That's kind of, I'm dating myself a little there, but it's like solid, like 90s entertainment or maybe early 2000s, but it just keeps growing, right? And even if we don't make provisions for our own flesh, do we make provisions for others' flesh, right? Oh, he's just, he's just sowing his wild oats, right? She'll grow out of it, right? But sin never gets less hungry. So Paul says, don't give it an inch, right? Don't make any provisions for it. It's not a pet, it's an enemy. So, what are your pet sins? What are your little vices? Um, As you kind of nurse them along, um, keeping them around just in case, are you ready for Christ to return? So, a great example of this um, struggle is the life of uh, St. Augustine or St. Augustine. Um, He's one of the most influential theologians and pastors in really the history of Christianity. Um, He's a pivotal figure in the development of the doctrine of the Trinity and how we understand God's grace. Um, So even if you've never heard of him before, the way that you think and talk about Jesus and Christianity is indebted to him, secretly. Um, But in his spiritual autobiography, called The Confessions, he records his long journey out of sin and unbelief into confessing and giving his whole life to Jesus. And this passage in Romans plays a really pivotal part in, his, in the story of his conversion that he tells in that book. So much of Augustine's life, he's driven by um, his sexual desire and his lust. He's very promiscuous, um, and even while he spends years kind of studying Christianity and inching closer and thinking about it, he's unwilling to give himself over to Jesus. He remembers wanting to change, but also wanting to make what Paul calls provisions for the flesh. And he writes this, says, I actually begged you, God, for chastity by saying, give me chastity and self-restraint, but don't do it just yet. I was afraid that you'd hear my prayer quickly and quickly cure me of this disease of lust, which I preferred to have satisfied rather than nullified. So how familiar is that? I want to change, but maybe not just yet. Because we love sin. I love sin. I mean, you know. Not really, but but I do. You can ask him about it after if that's confusing. Um, The pastor said he loves sin. (laughs) Um, And as Augustine would say is our habit, um, sin is our habit, he would say. It's baked into our DNA um, because we are Adam's sons and daughters. And we also know how difficult it would be to cut off from fulfilling these desires. So we hesitate. Later on in, in his autobiography, he writes... I was hanging back from dying to death and living for life. For me, what was worse, sin, was stronger than what was better because it was deeply ingrained, because I I wasn't habituated to what was better. And then at the final turning point, Augustine writes about this moment where he says he's just weeping in agony, thinking of um, his addictive habits. And then next door, he hears this little kid chanting, pick it up, read it, pick it up, read it. So he takes this as God telling him to grab his Bible nearby, he grabs it, and he returns to the last spot where he was reading, which was Romans 13, 13 through 14. And and he reads, let's walk in a way that's fit for the daytime, not in drunken parties or sexual immorality or fighting or jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't think about how to feed the flesh. And he writes, um, he writes this, I didn't want to read any further, and there was no need the instant I finished this sentence, my heart was virtually flooded with light, and with a light of relief and certitude, and all the darkness of my hesitation scattered away. And then from that moment on, he's resolved to give Jesus his whole life. So maybe, maybe you're here today, and you're hearing the same call that Augustine heard 1,600 years ago. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Salvation is near. Cast off the darkness and put on light. Before we end with a few ways to apply this, let me just summarize Paul's charge here. You've been saved out of darkness. You've been enlisted in the army of light. Your mission is to prepare for the advent of the king, to be ready for battle, to engage the enemy where he is, both out there, but more importantly, in here, in your own life. The hour has come, and the day is at hand. So as we're waiting... We need him to return, right? We can't do what Jesus will do when he returns. But we also aren't passive, right? Remember the words of Peter that I read earlier, since you're waiting, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Now, what, this, what might this look like in our lives and especially as we're entering this Advent season? Well, most obviously and first, attend to your inner and outer life, right? What darkness is in your life Um, that you've allowed to hang on for a little bit too long? What do you need to throw away? What do you need to wage war against to cut off? And what needs to replace it? How can you embody a life of light? To fight for the light, to be a channel of this light. And this isn't always going to be nice and easy. right? It might be painful. It might lead to less opportunities. It might trigger hostility around you. When Jesus shined a light on the world, they killed him, okay? And this might look like speaking the truth boldly somewhere uh, that, needs, that needs to be spoken. It might mean not giving in to darkness and lies, not standing idly by while things are not right in this or that area. But it could also mean just simple acts of light-bearing, encouraging someone with the truth, um, speaking up words to someone in your life who's struggling, calling someone out of darkness and like, to tell them, to, like Augustine, to leave, leave the darkness behind, come into the light. Second, um, consider taking on some tried and true practices that will help starve the flesh and feed the work of the Spirit. So Advent is a great time to make a renewed effort to dedicate yourself to prayer, scripture, self-examination. Um, so in other words, to make some Christian New Year's resolutions. All right, it's a great time to think of how you and your family can embody this posture of waiting for God to act and to take your part in His works. So, um, me personally, just to throw out ideas, if you're like, I have no idea where to even begin, we have some simple ways that we kind of decorate our house to get us in tune with the season. We put little candles in the windows, we have an Advent calendar we do, we do a little short family devotional once a week related to Advent um, with the Advent candles. Um, Those are just some ideas, but those little things can make a really big difference, especially if you have kids, like those really tangible things, um, they connect in a way. I mean, I remember doing Advent calendars when I was a little kid, um, and Advent candles. Those connect in a way um, that just kind of talking about it might not. Individually, um, you know, you can get up early for prayer and for reading scripture. Maybe consider an Advent devotional or a book to work through during this time. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to do the Advent worship on Wednesday mornings is, is just one small opportunity to do this in community, to give opportunities to do this. If you're maybe like, I don't even know how to enter into the season. But find ways to do this together with other people. Um, there's so many things that, in the announcements that we've talked about, events that are coming up that can help you in that. You should also consider fasting. Now, fasting is a practice that disciplines our desires, right? It takes things that are maybe not even bad in themselves um, though they can become bad, uh, and makes a determined effort to say, body, or mind, or heart, I know that you want this, but instead of just giving you what you want when you want it, I'm going to turn to God instead. All right? Fasting trains us to hunger for God more than anything else. And fasting can, and it does give us strength. It, it builds the muscles and the willpower to make headway in your fight against sin. Fasting helps prepare us to receive the king when he comes. It cues us to look for his return. Right, remember what Jesus said when he was with them? He said, my disciples aren't fasting because the bridegroom's with them, but there will come a time when they will fast um, as they wait for me. So whether that's um, fasting from food or social media or whatever, um, discipline yourself so you can grow in holiness and in longing for Jesus to return. And you might find that the Christmas feast is that much sweeter and more joyful after a season of fasting. So let me close with this quote from um, the author Fleming Rutledge, who who wrote on this passage, and this sums up how our words and our actions uh, this season can bring light or can bring darkness. She writes, every step we take in this world is a step towards either darkness or light. Every harsh word every mean act, every vengeful thought is a part of the works of darkness. Every act of forgiveness, every small act of charity, every temptation resisted is a piece of the armor of light. So may we all wait faithfully and joyfully this Advent season. Now you may be hearing this and thinking, I'm just not sure I have the strength to do this. And you're right, and that's where Communion, among other things, comes in. In Luke uh, chapter 12, verse 37, Jesus tells his disciples, Blessed are those servants whom the master will find awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. At Jesus' second coming, he will lay out a great banquet, and we will eat with Jesus in person, face to face. The beauty of the Lord's Supper, of communion, is that he doesn't leave us hungry in the time between his advents. He feeds us today. Even though we're watching and we're waiting for this future feast, this future banquet, he's already given us his body and his blood to strengthen us and to sustain us and to bring us together as a people who are looking forward to his return. So communion reminds us that it's God's grace working in us, and it's His grace that covers our weakness when we don't measure up. So as we're celebrating the supper today, uh, we remember and we proclaim his death until he returns, until he comes. We're strengthened by his body and his blood, which was broken and poured out to give us life, to satisfy our hunger and our thirst. So if you're tired and you feel like you don't have the strength to stay awake, to remain watchful and faithful, to put the sinful flesh to death, this meal is for you. To know that Jesus loved you to death. And he lives to give you everything that you need today to answer the call. So if you're a Christian, you're welcome to come and eat and drink at this table. If you're not a Christian, I would ask you to take this time to consider that the king is returning. And he welcomes you to set aside darkness in your life and come into the light. All right, Will you give your life to him today? To all who are children of the day, um, you can come forward and get the bread and wine and then we'll eat back together in our seats. Um, And I think Nick's gonna come and, and play a song while we do that.